the party, having been sentenced to a time in the Twilight Eternal by the ethereal Anahan, awaits judgment for their crimes, so to speak, against the gods and Egadon. However, this plane is not all as it seems. Between speaking with the spirits of their dead friends, talking with strange entities, and now coming upon a farm of sorts with talkative animals and a shepherd named Victor, the party has found themselves in even stranger circumstances, as Bartholomew has already encountered a hallway going infinitely in either direction, and rooms tailored to his own traumatic memories. The others, Val, Vamok, Mick, Cad, and Kelniace, find themselves in similar situations, having just walked upstairs. However, outside, Rolandir and Brynir head back up toward the house after concluding their dialogue with the various animals around the farm. Alright, well, best case scenario we can hope for is they're already gathered up and halfway out the door by the time we get there. And Rolandir, now probably approaching the door, about to cross the threshold, looking in, obviously he doesn't see anyone there. Is Victor there? Victor's still in his rocking chair, but he seems to have fallen asleep. Not seeing anyone there, he turns quietly to Brynir. Should we wait here for the others, or should we go searching for them? The sheep said not to drink anything. I've already ruined that plan. Don't read any books. Don't open any doors. Uh, If we can avoid the other two, perhaps we could look around? I mean, we'll probably want to find them. I imagine that they're in here somewhere. Alright, well, and does anywhere look like an obvious direction? So you have the stairs going up, you have the hallway going to the library? Yes, and then back to the sitting room. And then the hallway continues straight past the stairs to where you assume the kitchen and dining area he mentioned are. Rolander now does go over to Victor and attempts to wake him. What do you do, just like shake him? Yeah, he kind of like pokes him on the shoulder a bit. Mm, Yes, excuse me, boy. Seems to just have dozed off. Good, good glass of sap will do that to you. Victor, where are the others? Mm, Well, I think your friends went to the library. All right. Um, Do you mind if we check it out? Not at all, just, uh... <sighs> Careful what you read. So I've heard. And Rolandier goes to take a quick look into the library to see if he can see or hear anything coming from it. Not a peep. You can even just peer out of the sitting room down the hall into the library where the door is ajar. You see that there are different books that have been laid out. Some have been tossed on the floor. Other scrolls and such that have been opened and left... And then you hear the slightest creak a little beyond and beside you on the stairs that lead upward, as if it were coming from the second floor. Rolandia, do you see anything? Not in the library, no. Uh, Victor, no one went upstairs, did they? Oh, I, I think your your short friend went upstairs. Maybe the other's been looking for him. <sighs> kind of turning back to Brynir. Well, if we really do need to get them out, I think we need to go up. As long as there's no doors involved, we should be fine. Dramatic irony. (laughs) (laughs) I I take it you don't mind if we go up looking for our friends then? Addressing Victor. Victor is already nodded off again. Impressive. Let's go then. 
And Rolandier starts heading up the stairs. Brynir will go up the stairs too. That same sensation happens as Rolandier step onto the landing and beyond. Even, you know, look left and right. But as Brynir steps up, Rolandier disappears. And the both of you see this infinite hallway and the infinite staircase behind you. So, Vamok finds himself alone, noticing quickly and establishing, you know, the patterns of these doors and their numberings. You don't see anything out of the ordinary, other than the fact that you're still, you know, naked and alone. Vamok will walk, you know, a few paces down, just kind of get a little look at the doors, kind of noticing the numbers and the pattern. Do you go left or right? Left is A, right is B. He'll, he'll go left. He walks maybe 15 paces down and then very cautiously opens whatever door is on his left. As you reach for the handle, you know they have their keys in them. Looking inside, it seems to be simple lodgings that you might find in an inn, though not a particularly nice one. The candles have all died down, and the window pane is cracked. Mock's going to take a wary look around. He's obviously noticed that he's alone, and to him, there's really no way but through at this point. Looking inside the room? Yeah, he's going to kind of check and see if there's any sign of Barty or any sign of anybody. No. And as you look around, there's a small alcove with a quite pugnant chamber pot. Seems to be full and slightly tipped over. And the place, does the place, like, look abandoned? It doesn't look abandoned, just poorly managed. But Mach will take a few steps forward. He'll try to keep a healthy distance from the old chamber pot. Doesn't, I imagine it doesn't smell super nice. And you said there were broken windows? There's one broken window. And not, not so much broken, but as if someone threw a small rock through it. And there's a nice, you know, hole and spider webbing of cracks around it. Okay. Vamok will head over to that window until peer out and see what he sees. It seems pretty firmly jammed shut. However, you can hear crickets and wind and barely silhouetted against the darkest of blue skies is you know black treetops and such swaying. Large pine trees. It's obviously the middle of the night somewhere outside. It seems to be in quite hostile terrain as well. You can hear distant thunder. Okay, Vamak is just going to do one really quick once-over just to see if there's anybody inside this structure. Not in this room. All right, well, are there other rooms, like, connected to this one, or is it pretty much just this one? No, they're singular. Vamak's going to exit this room the way he came in. Shut the door behind him. Do you take or leave the key? Vamak would probably leave the key. To him, there's no real use in taking a key that goes to a specific door. So you leave room 15A and step back into the hallway. A ways down, further to your left, you see a flickering of orange light coming from underneath one of the doors, and just a repeated thud and banging over and over again. And you hear muffled shouts devolving into screams of horrendous pain. Vamak's going to make his way towards that door. It's only about 10 doors away at 24A. And you can feel this distinct heat that is just radiating from this wood. And almost as if 
the wood itself is partly on fire as tiny little embers and slivers of it sizzle and break off. The doorknob looks hot to the touch, to say the least. Vmok grabs the doorknob, just full on, expecting it to burn him. It does. He's going to twist and open it. As you swing it inward and open, you are witness to what looks like the inside of a Goliath longhouse that has been set ablaze. You see Goliaths clawing at the wood, climbing over each other, kicking and screaming, all semblance of family or camaraderie just completely abandoned as they scramble for their singular survival, pushing and punching each other to get to any kind of exit that they could possibly make, but all of them doing it in vain as the fire licks their skin from their bones and they crumble at each other's feet. One of them turns and makes eye contact with you, and noticing the open door, begins a dead sprint as his own bones and flesh just crumble beneath him as he begins to crawl closer and more viciously toward the open door. Vamok slams the door shut and recoils. He, he backs away, nursing his burned hand. As you slam the door shut, the heat, the fire... Any pieces of wood or soot or whatever is all gone. This is a trick. This is not real. And the mock just like shakes his burnt hand. As you do, you just you feel this this tingling and this itching in your hand as it starts to like blister and pop from this intense heat it was subjected to. I refuse to see this. And the mock turns. And he's going to head a little further down the hallway. All of the doors seem to be exactly similar. They all have their keys until you find door 66A, which doesn't have a key. And pressing your ear up against it, for you do hear something emanating from inside. It's the sound of a, a knife, a heavy blade being brought to bear against a table. The shuffling of items on such table packing, who knows what. But someone's working hard inside. Vamak tries the door. It's locked. He tries a, a little more vigorously. You know, really jostling at it. Almost a little desperate to know what's inside. It's still locked, and you feel like you have dream strength, where you just can't hit hard enough, and you just can't push hard enough. But you hear the working stop and you hear these lumbering footsteps come over to the door, and then you hear the of a key, and then the doorknob turns and opens, and there's a large Goliath in there, a thick beard wearing a leather apron that's just spattered with blood, holding in his hand a huge butcher's knife, and he says, Ah, Vumuk, did you need something? Krathag already brought me your kill. And he just kind of looks over his shoulder at this table, whereupon it this carcass of a brilliant stag has been butchered, ripped to shreds and pieces. The only thing remaining intact are its limbs that are splayed on the floor and the large head its tongue hanging out of its mouth, and two black eyes staring out of its chestnut-brown fur, flecked with blood, and completely dead. 
do I need something from you? What was it you told me? The strong survive and the weak perish. Look where it got you. I know what you are. In the end, you are nothing more than a sickly, weak old man who hid behind cruel ideology. This big Goliath just gives a harumph and then goes back over and starts chopping away at this deer again and barely glancing over his shoulder just says, And you have turned out so different. Stop it. Stop what you are doing. And he does. And he slams the knife into the table. And then he takes the deer's head by the ear. And he rips it from the table. And with callous disregard for this body of this animal, he drags it over to you and just throws it at your feet. And then he kneels. And when he kneels, you find that he's at your eye level, as if you were suddenly much, much shorter, though without your noticing. And he cocks his head and he says, What I told you was true. The strong survive while the weak perish. You are weak, and you will become weak. You would have become weak if it were not for me and your brother. This, and he just slaps the deer's decaying head. What did you call it? Hmm? What was its name? Have you forgotten how to speak, boy? And he slaps you. And Vamok just falls to the floor. And there are tears. But just, they feel so hot as they run down his cheeks. As I imagined. Why? Why? Boy... If only you were more like your brother, you would be strong. You would be a true Goliath. You would not be tempted by outsiders and their fancies. Why do I bother with you? Raising you? You are a fool. I thought this would have changed you. Perhaps tonight in the hall, when we eat this thing, this animal, for that is all it is. It was not a friend of yours. You do not have friends, Vamak. Perhaps then, as its meat swirls in your belly, and you think about how you used to pet its head in that little glade of yours, perhaps then you will think on weakness and strength. And perhaps then I can begin to see you as my son. But until then, you are nothing. You are less than nothing. Wipe those tears from your face and get off your ass. The mock, still on the ground, reels back, does that kind of, you know, reverse crawl, like he's scooting back, pushing himself back, and he's just desperately trying to make his way to the door, just trying to get out of there. You, you enter the hallway as this huge Goliath stands up, just shaking his head at you, and then you bump into something. Your back hits something. Uh, feels like a, a leg. It's definitely not the other side of the hallway. You haven't gone far enough. I turn around hesitantly. And you see this human in a chic, simple get-up. Older, though has a kind and gentle face. And he offers a white-gloved hand for you to take. And he says, Sir, do you need some assistance? And Vamok just, just like a little boy, just clutches at the man's legs. And for the first time in 
decades. He weeps. He just can't hold it back. And though you weep like a little boy, you are not. You are your full-aged self again. But this butler character kneels down and puts an arm on your shoulder and just caresses gently and says, There, there. There's nothing to get too upset about. If you bothered to look up where this butcher shop was moments before, that door is closed and the scene is gone, seemingly of its own accord. Why don't we find you somewhere to rest? Without saying a word, and without offering any resistance, Vamok just follows the man wherever he leads. He helps you to your feet, and then one arm, slightly, you know, like a step behind you, one hand on your bicep and the other one just over your shoulder, is leading you down the hallway. You made a choice there. You stood up to him. It would not be the last time. For all the good it did me, I was still powerless. Perhaps you were, but you decided, regardless of power or standing, to exercise your will against Tarkon. That is something you did not do then, and it is something you did now. Dare say it was the right choice. At least in my humble opinion. And then he turns and opens a door, which number you don't have time to glance as he ushers you inside. Perhaps this will be more to your liking. And as you look inside this room, it's well made up. There's sunlight coming in from the window, dappling the curtains and the floor. And the scene beyond, you see mountains, just majestic heights of stone and snow and fog. Your home, what it used to be at least. And this, one of the first inns on the road elsewhere. The bed has been done, and it looks as comfortable as it was that first time you set out after a long day's walk. Feeling what Vamak could only describe as a semblance of peace, he sits down on the bed looking out, just taking in the beauty of the scene around him, just trying to keep it together. The sun will set before long, sir, and I'll be off. Do you require anything else, or shall I leave you to yourself? No, this is enough. Thank you. Very well. I'll call upon you in twelve hours' time, with fresh garments and a warm breakfast. And perhaps it'd be... And he just gives a little wink as he takes the key out of the door and puts it in his pocket. For the best. If you collected yourself before then, you'll have time. And then he shuts the door and locks it. As Rolandia reaches the top of the stairs, you're subject to that same scene left and right. Infinite hallway, sparse candlelight, numbered rooms. Muttering to himself about sheep and doors and whatnot. Rolandier turns to the right and starts walking. All right. And the doors go 1B and then across the hall 2B and then back across the hall 3B and then back across the hall 4B and so on and so forth forever. And they are all identical, each with a key in the lock. It would seem so, but you haven't walked that far. Around door 14, Rolandier turns to it and tries the handle. 
It opens. And not stepping inside, he pushes it open. You see, well, first you feel a gust of cold wind and the smell of ash. As before you is basically the shell of a house. Cinders and broken beams of wood are strewn about in what used to be a respectable home, but now is nothing but ashen ruins covered in the first hints of winter's snow. Kind of shocked a little bit by the cold hitting him, Rolander subconsciously takes a few steps inward to take a glance throughout. Your feet kind of prickle and hurt as you step over splintered wood and crack glass. As you go further, you can still see behind you this doorway where it goes back to the hallway, but beyond that just seems to be a forest and a overgrown road. Taking a, a hesitant look around, not moving forward anymore, Rolandir breathes in a deep breath and exhales and studies some of the framing and the wood around, just kind of brushing his hand against it. You get soot all over your hand, though the layout of this room seems more than familiar in particular. There's the workings of a small bed, little of it that remains at least. Taking a few steps now out, peering out into the road that leads away from the house, straining to see any sign of footprints. No footprints, but as you take another step, your foot crunches down on something brittle and uncomfortable that shoots a pain into your leg, and as you step off of it, you notice it's the curled fingers of a burnt skeleton that you've just snapped underfoot. Taking the foot away, more from the pain initially, and then realizing that they were bones beneath, Lander takes several hurried steps backwards to the doorframe leading to the hall. And do you leave, or do you stay? He stands there a few moments, staring at, can he see the remainder or where the rest of this skeleton would lie? The hand is palm up, and then... The arm continues, and then just past the elbow, it seems to be obscured by a pile of burnt rubble. Mostly wood, but some stone. Taking a last look at these, Landier shakes his head and leaves. And if you don't shut that door, it shuts of its own accord. More determinedly, he begins walking down the hallway. He turned not further down to the right, but he's going to go down towards the left, if that's hasn't diminished to nothing yet. No, you can go back the way you came, all the way to where the staircase is. All the way back to the landing. And the, you know, remember, there's a single door right across from the stairs that says lavatory. Kind of shaking himself out of it, he's muttering to himself, don't open any of the doors. Well, not that it was anything dangerous, but this one can't hurt too much. And he pushes open the lavatory door. <laughs> you find a lavatory. <laughs> Closes it promptly. <laughs> and hurries down the left hallway. Not at an entirely all-out sprint like he had done when he first arrived in this realm, but he is hurriedly jogging down this hallway, the A hallway now. As you get around the mid-30s, there's a door that doesn't have a key. And that's the first one you've seen of its kind. And you hear commotion from the other side. And Rolander would stop and put his ear to the door. All of it's muffled, 
as if there's some mass that is blocking this sound. And seeping just underneath the crack of the door is this orange, gelatinous substance. Looking down and then looking back at the door, Rolander just says, oh, damn it all, and he kicks the door in. The door does break, but then it, you know, stops immediately because then it is embedded in this mass of gel and pus and what have you as it is then slowly absorbed. And looking through it, on either side, you see that it is completely pressed up against the walls of these old catacombs. And through this this blurred lens that is this blob of a creature, you see something happening. Kind of a space that's been carved out in this large room as people, you among them, fight off this thing. You hear muffled Lidrotz's gruff voice barking orders and shouting insults, and you recognize the sarcastic tinge of Kelnias's own jabs at whatever this monstrosity is. Is there a clear way into this room past the orange goop? Oh no, it is it is pretty solidly there, and in fact it's starting to edge outside of this room. Rolandier presses himself firmly against the opposite side of the wall, and still looking in, he now is loudly yelling, not towards any of the people inside the room, but to Sindor. And he just says, Is this what you wanted? Is this what you expected? When you called someone like me? Someone to serve you? Someone searching for power? <laughs> Deigning that he could become a god himself, but causing the death of so many others. You knew I couldn't even do it if I wanted to, didn't you? It was a futile effort from the beginning. Look at us! And just staring again at this group of himself and his companions. Look at this. It's sad, honestly. The thoughts we had, the promises we made to ourselves. Saving Egadon. Killing! Gods, even. And he starts backing away further down into the deeper part of this hallway. And you do see and hear as you go and the door starts to shut on its own. Laidrotz's cry as he seems to be encompassed by the bog rot and taking this fire device of the Mazkin that he has primed. And then the door shuts and you hear the slightest thud. And then this substance just whips back underneath the door where it came from and it's gone. No, I think you... And he, he's just walking now talking as he goes you knew what you were doing all of you do even if you don't know what the other ones are up to which strings they're pulling you have your own strings you find enough pleasure in it to keep going day by day it doesn't even matter what one of us what a mere mortal would want we'll just play things for you always have been and always will be do what's best for Egadon you say bringing Brynir into this I don't even think you care what's best for Egadon. You simply care what's going to get you through the next sunrise. <sighs> the sheep said not to open any more doors. Might as well try them all. And he just takes the next one and pushes it open and walks straight in. And you hear a voice behind you say, Excuse me, sir. What? Beg your pardon, but would you not prefer something a little more to your comfort? <laughs> comfort. I doubt any of us are exactly deserving of comfort, now are we? 
does he see anything different in this room, or is it just kind of like an empty... It seems like another room of some inn. Though, outside you hear commotion, and there's light from the window, and just the briefest glimpse of the shadow flying over the city as white and black flame is just wreathed around these homes and erupts and destroys entire city blocks before you know, fading to this normal orange and reddish hue. Sir. Now, turning to see this person, what do you want from us? You see this same astute butler character that's helped the others and says, I have, if you will, and he holds up a key, your room. Right, take me to it. Very well. And he walks you down a good hundred or so doors before leading you into an inn. One that looks simple, but robust. This room is well made, but as I said, very, very bare bones in its design and furnishings. Nevertheless, quite homey. And you hear delightful music coming up from the baseboards, and the bed is soft to the touch. You've seen my companions, then? I have, yes. Are they well? I believe they are, sir. They have, thus far, made choices more befitting of their character, of their nature. Will you see them again? As soon as I will see you, sir. In twelve hours' time, I'll bring you fresh garments and a warm breakfast. And if it's all the same to you, I think it'd be best, and he takes this key that he is removed from the door and just sticks it in his pocket if you remained here perhaps some time to reflect and collect yourself nodding in appreciation Rolandia walks to the window to stare out at the goings on outside good evening sir and he shuts the door and then briefly after you hear it lock Brynir has just lost the godborn his one life's charge and duty well, technically, at this point, he's lost all three Godborn that are in his party, so... <laughs> three for three, Brynir. Oh, gosh. That's true. Seeing that Rolandir has disappeared, Brynir speaks to himself. He says, Oh, damned. Uh, I guess we should not have come in here after all. Didn't even have to go through a door. As you look either way, it's the same scene. Is there anything in particular that uh, Brynir wants to do now? standing alone at the top of this landing. He, he's thinking for a moment, and then where he's at, he raises his voice a little bit and says, Is this my trial? Is there something for me here? Hoping for a response. You don't hear any. You just see doors as far as the eye can see. Though, uh, funnily enough, down either way, intermittently, you notice that a few of them Though most have their keys inserted in the locks with their little tags hanging down, a couple of them don't. Maybe one on the left, two or three on the right, but they're a ways down. Brynir will head down the right hall to the first of these keyless doors. That happens at about B23, so it's not too far. Brynir's going to knock on the door. You hear a voice, one moment, and then you hear feet coming. And then finally the door opens, and you see a sizable Demlik home, and in front of you is Halvor, your father, waiting, standing there, looking uh, not too unexpectedly at you. Just gives you a once-over. Well? 
Are you coming in, Bunya? Father, what are you doing here? Well, <laughs> we've lived here all our lives. <laughs> what do you mean? This is our home. Come, why don't you come in? Tove has the night off. Your sister's cooking. Uh, we shall see how that turned out. Well, we know what happened last time. Brynjar will go into the door, specifically thinking, he's like, well, I didn't open it, so it's okay. The door does not shut behind you, and your father doesn't move to shut it either. So looking back, you can still see this hallway, but you're led into your childhood home, and you see your mother at a table, as well as your brothers and sisters. Uh, One of them is near a pot that's over a small fire pit in the middle of the kitchen area, sweating as she stirs whatever's inside. And then you see your uncle, Vidaran, in a little den off to the side, just kind of sitting in a chair, swirling some mug of whatever ale is popular those days. And as you enter, he goes, Ah, my favorite nephew. The other brothers, <laughs> Erling and Danren, give him glares, and as they start to argue, he just waves them off. He's like, hey, he's just the oldest. It's okay. You will be my favorite, too, and you can swing a sword like Brynjir can. Brynjir, in the moments leading up to this, if one were to look at his face, he is immensely happy and pleased to see his family, and he responds to his uncle, I put in a lot of time and effort to do that, but my brothers should not have to learn how to wield the sword if they don't. They can be wonderful smiths like our father. Perhaps. Or perhaps they can be poets. Who knows? We are Demlik. We do as we will. Come, Brynja, why don't you sit with me a moment? And egg above. Bring me some more drink. And get one for yourself. Of course, uncle. I wouldn't have it any other way. And Brynja goes grabs a, a few glasses and, well, grabs some alcohol in a glass for himself and then goes and sits on the table. As your uncle just kind of sips at his mug, oh, I will say, it has been a long time since I have done what you do. I have not been on a battlefield in many years. I have no interest in going on one either. Not with the campaigns going as they will. I hear, I hear. And he kind of just muffles his voice as he looks askance and leans in toward you. I hear things are not going well. They say Bastion is close to falling. Have you heard? Just some rumors, but uh, we humans are strong. We can push through. Yes, perhaps. More like we Demlik are strong. (laughs) Of course we are. If those damnable kin ever came to Erothric, they would have a real fight on their hands. Without a doubt, uncle. <sighs> but those fell folk, they need our help. And you know if it weren't for my leg, I would be there. You know that. Uncle, you have taught me many things. So in essence, you are there. I fight for all people in Demnik. So if it ever came to that, know that your teachings, they are protecting the people we care about. I will drink to that, but you must tell me, because your father won't. But they say you're leaving soon. Something important, something with that Iron Bane fellow. Yes, I must seek him out. My time in the guard is about to come to a close, but 
No worries. I'll be back. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. And as each of these figures leaves your sight, like your line of sight, like let's say you turn toward the kitchen to look at your family and then turn back toward your uncle, your uncle's chair is now empty. Whatever candles and light were there are unlit. And looking back toward your family, the fire has been snuffed out. The candles are no more. The window, open, lets in a little light and a soft breeze carrying snow. But otherwise, it seems the house is just you. The abundance of happiness that Brynir was feeling earlier leaves him as he now realizes that he's not actually there. He let himself fall into that train of thought for a bit and kind of hoped things were back to the way they were, but knows that they're not. And Brynir gets up and is going to leave the room. Closing the door softly behind you, you hear a voice carrying down the hallway from a few doors up. It's a familiar voice. In, in fact, it sounds like Relandir, only muffled by the distance and the wood. Uh, Brin- uh going to kind of give, not a yell, but uh, a raised voice. Relandir, is that you? And he's going to walk towards the sound. There is a door there, though there is no key in the lock. And as you jiggle the handle, it seems firmly shut. Though you can hear running water, as if from streams and the like. Though there are no other sounds. Brynir is going to knock and say, Rolando, are you in there? Open up. There's still no response. But there is a pretty plain light coming from the keyhole. Brynir is going to look through the keyhole. As you stoop down and look through... Like I said, you know, these keys, these big wrought iron things, they're pretty large, and so you have a pretty clear view of inside. And looking beyond, you see this small valley of hills and such where these rivers and streams feed down into a lake. And it's very clear that this is the realm that you're currently in. And you see Rolandir down at the bottom of this lake, speaking just seemingly to the water. And you can hear another voice carrying up and bringing with it this kind of dizzying sweet scent that takes you just a second to get used to. But then you hear bits and pieces of this conversation and this voice that emanates from the lake, this large pond goes, but if things went as they continue to, and you do face off against gods as you want to, or land sacrifices will be necessary. You've made bonds, packs that are not so easily broken. You know the consequences thereof. Would you really be willing to give one more life for your freedom? But there it is, isn't it? There's the temptation, for that's the price. It's just one more life. That red mark around his neck squeezes just a little tighter. And then you, you're a free man again. It's that simple. You know, if you'd you'd posed this question to me months earlier, I would have argued against you, saying it can't be that simple. It's not. But you're right. He is just one more life. And the way I see it, if we continue on this path, how many more? 
will join him and be like him. And at least with him, deluded, loyal puppy that he is, what's the harm? You squeeze a little and you put him down. After all, he's his own problem, his own rabid dog. Think if you weren't around to rein him in, wouldn't he just be hurting others? In fact, by you going free, you'd be doing this world a favor, Rolandia. Wouldn't you agree? I won't point out any flaws in your logic. Of course not. There are none. And it's at this point that, Brynja, you're, you're kind of overtaken by this sickly, rotten smell that is just assaulting your senses as your eyes begin to water uncontrollably and itch. Brynir will back away from the door, trying to stop this whatever is happening, the smell and this uncontrollable watering. This sensation lets up a little bit, though there's obviously still some irritation in your nose and your eyes. Even your throat you feel is suddenly prickly and dry, and then you feel a hand on your shoulder. Brynir will turn around. Through your blurred vision, you see a kindly old man. And he says, Sir, sir, have you ingested something untoward? Not physically, no. I just need a moment. Who are you? I attend these rooms, and those who stay here. Have you seen my companions? That I have. A few of them, though not all. I'm sure I will eventually. Can you take me to them? Not of yet. They're resting. And... I dare say it may be wise for you to do as well. I do not know if now is the time to be resting. My dear boy, you will need your strength. Believe me, there are things to come that you still cannot even fathom. There are forces working against you that are beyond even the gods' purview. If there is someone in need, I will have strength. You have courage, though do not misplace it. Courage is also knowing one's limits. Sometimes, in order to help those around you, you have to try to surpass those limits. My boy, we both know what happens when those go too far. And he just motions to this door across the way that's kind of rattling, and the key is not present, but you just hear these screams and this clanging of metal and steel and snapping of bone and the rending of flesh under a great axe and the names Brynir, Runa, and others being yelled, followed by screams of tortured pain before silence. And then that door stops rattling, and the brief hint of ashen light that shone underneath it fades away. Brynir, after a second, he says, No! And he goes to push open that door. But as you try and try, it doesn't budge. And even stooping down and looking in the keyhole, it's just black, pitch black, and you hear from behind you a click and a creak as this attendant, this butler, opens a door on the opposite side and says, Sir, this room has been done up for you. You'll find nothing but solace here, I assure you. Solitude you may welcome in times like this. Times to clear your head and arrange your thoughts before things of the utmost importance are to come, if you please. And he steps aside and beckons. Very well. And 
Brynjir will go forward and then reach out his hand to the butler, ex- almost expecting something in return. Do you require something, sir? I heard you unlock the door. If it's like any other inn, then I need the key. Sir, I'm sure you understand that this place is unlike any other inn. And for the safety of yourself and for the other guests here, and he just kind of eyes over his shoulder at the door where the commotion just came from, I think it would be best if I held on to this for now. How would that be best? I have nowhere to go. I would not leave. Oh, but sir, there are many more doors here, with many more things to discover behind them. Things that were, things that might have been, and things that still may be. It would be unwise to travel much further, and I would ask your pardon for this slight inconvenience, as I humbly request you, stay in your rooms for the night. Fine. Do what you will. And Brynir will go into the room. Very well, sir. I'll fetch you in twelve hours' time to dine with your companions. I'll bring you a fresh set of garments and a warm breakfast. Good night. And then he shuts and locks the door. Val finds himself alone. Though one of the first up, it's quick to see that the others disappear and that no one else is here with you. Okay. (laughs) Val just is going to take this as a trick of whatever this house is going to do to him at this point and not bother, like, calling out or doing a single thing and just sort of, like, shut his eyes, spin in a direction, and then walk left. (laughs) Great. You start walking along the A hallway. You see identical doors, keys inside their locks, for the most part. It's not until key 42A that the key is missing. He will approach the store and knock. Upon knocking, you hear footsteps approaching. And then upon opening this door, you see a very lavish estate, very opulent very extravagant, this grand hallway that's open before you. And an Elvaret, young, uh, relatively, stands at your attention. Says, ah, Master Sulisel, welcome home. Do I recognize any of this? Yes, you know who this helper is. In fact, it may have even been one of the servants that you disguised your friends as. Okay, I think Val, just instant relief, steps into the store without a second thought. Should I inform your father that you are home, sir? Um, does he know that I left? (laughs) Yes, sir. Probably, then, I suppose. I believe he is still awake. Though your mother has gone to bed, you will find your father in his study. Do you have anything I can attend to? Uh, no, thank you. Very well. And uncharacteristically, he doesn't close the door and then walks off to another part of the house. Looking around, it seems to be nighttime. There are open windows, and it's obviously the city of Udeelo, where you grew up. If I turn or if I look behind me, do I see I see the inn through the door? Yes, you see that hallway. Okay. With a final glance back at the inn, Val will keep going to his father's study. 
kind of running your hand along the banister as you climb the wide stairs to the second floor. You make your way down a gilded hallway after gilded hallway until you come to a rather imposing set of doors that are firmly shut. Val will steal himself and knock but show himself in. Sitting at a desk, just rifling through different things, busy work, honestly, is Sendres, your father, who you recognize and remember. Do I also have a memory of talking to him, like, in the twilight? It would take maybe more than just a couple minutes to put two and two together, for this is a younger version of him, for sure. Okay. But this is clearly the father you know, or a version of him, at least, who barely looks up as you enter the room. Well. Well. It's good to see you, Udo. Hmm. You had your mother worried, as usual. Tell me. Kind of just, like, stack some papers and sets them off to the side before steepling his hands in front of him. Do you enjoy making her nauseous with such worry over your escapades? Is it a game to you? Is this fun, Thomas? No. Yet you continue to do it. If it is not night after night, then it is one week or the next that we find your bedchambers missing a certain individual, namely yourself. Your mother, your own Deirdre, suggested that we impose a sort of curfew, or not even curfew, something more extreme. I believe she used the word quarantine. I will not stand in her way for long. In fact, after seeing her tonight, and seeing you now, this ungodly hour, she'll probably get right to it. Udo, I don't... I don't do the things that I do to hurt you and Uda. I don't. I, I wish that I could make you understand that that is the only thing I have ever wanted, is for you to understand why I, I think the things that I think and feel what I feel about humans, about kin, about this for... You think the things you think because of that old fool. Well, you'll be happy to know that we sacked him. What? He's gone. Out on the street. I don't care where. But he won't be teaching you anymore. You would do even this to me? I would do much more for the well-being of my family. I am your family, am I not? He unsteeples his hands and kind of just leans back in his chair. Bites at his lip. On the nights where I have to watch your mother cry herself to sleep. Because she doesn't understand where her son has gone or why. Then I'm not sure, Valmis, if in those moments I'm comfortable calling you my son. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, Val is gonna, like, spin on his heel, stomp out of that, the study, slam the door behind him, and, like, just stomp down the hall, very angry, and after a moment, sort of, like, come to himself and realize what Senres said specifically about Deirda, and um, very sheepishly, quietly sort of go to her room, but just stand outside the door for a second. I assume I don't hear anything and nobody bothers me. <laughs> no. 
It is very late. Perhaps even early. Jeez. I'm gonna go in. It's locked. Do I know where the key is? <laughs> you could probably just intent it open. Oh, I forgot that I have intent again. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, craft an illusory key and make it real and unlock the door. As you turn the handle and open the door, there is a stark white light coming through the open windows and blowing these huge drapes. The poster bed is empty, and you kind of have to stifle a cough as this wind brings dust to your throat and your eyes. And you notice this dust is covering everything in thick layer. And if you deigned to look behind you, you would see that the house that you stepped through is in a similar state. And it's probably about now that you put two and two together of seeing Senres in the Twilight Eternal. Because your memories of your family are creeping back into your mind. I think Val begins to cry, not in the, like, typical, you know, racking, sobbing way that he usually does, but just, like, very quiet tears that he just can't keep back as these memories are returning to him. Is there anything in her room? No. It seems to have been packed up and abandoned. And... Judging from the time of day, the weather outside, this is probably a couple months before you sent Ifran and the others here. Mm-hmm. Can I go back the way I came, just out of her room, out of the house, back to the inn? Yes, quite easily. I will very quietly close that door, and then continue down the hallway, keeping an eye out for doors that don't have keys in the locks. You find one... A ways down, door 51A. Though the key is not in the lock, it is present. It's just on the floor. <laughs> Spooky. I will pick it up and put it in the lock and open the door. As you open the door, you hear a crackle of fire. You seem to be in a manor home of human construction. You see two large chairs facing this fire. And one of them, the slight silhouette of an older woman sipping something from a glass. <laughs> my whole heart, my whole soul. Um, Val will immediately, like, run into the room. And your heavy footsteps, you know, cause this woman to stand and almost spill this glass. And she just, you know, looks at her dress and looks at herself and adjusts her, her being before kind of giving you a wry smile and going, Val... You nearly made me spill all over myself. <laughs> How was your first night out? I just want to hug her. Like, full, full body, heedless of the wine. If it spills, it spills. I'm giving her a hug. Oh, oh that's good, huh? Okay. Oh, She returns your hug, you know, enthusiastically and then a bit more formally after the fact. It's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I'll let her go and sit in the other armchair, like right on the edge of the seat, just pitched forward, so excited. The lady, Katasandra, sits in her chair and just swirls her drink before taking a small sip and then smiling at you and looking you up and down. It's like, human suits you. It does. <laughs> Thank you. I... It feels weird to say that I have, I don't know, this is, um, in a small way, everything I have ever wanted. Well, 
Sometimes we are in positions that we do not know whether or not we are the person that we should be. For instance, once I was a little girl. I was very scared and alone, and I did not have a lot of money to my name. I don't know if I told you this, Valentine, but I only ever knew my mother. I did not know my father, but I always believed he was such a wretch of a man. And now, she just kind of gestures around. I have this. All of this. <laughs> I could do anything I wanted. I am empowered by everything that I have earned in this life. And one day I found my father. At least I found out who he was or where he was. He was a sailor a long time ago. I think he left before I was born, but he died at sea. As you know, we control most of the great sea that lies near the middle of the fell. But every now and again, there will be kinless ships, interlopers that disrupt our lines. There's a war on after all. Or perhaps you and I can change that someday. Regardless, he died, let's see. He was not some rich. He was not a smuggler or a pirate or anything of the sort. He was not even a soldier. No, he was ferrying refugees from the northern provinces into Taylor. Supply lines and inland roads had been cut off through various incursions at the time. Honestly, the furthest the kin have ever made it inside human-controlled fell. And he was killed. And all these years, I harbored something ill for him. And you know me, I ramble. I had a lesson in here somewhere, damn it, and I'll find it if you give me just a moment more. But suffice to say, I thought I was Vonsi. And I thought he was another. And it turns out we were the same. And for so long in my heart, I held such judgment for him. It was unfair, of course. And I think that is all that has become of our races. We look across the fell and those mountains, and we don't see people. We see human, we see kin. We don't see living beings. I do not know. You have told me much things about how the kin regard us. And things have changed, yes. But... We are still vermin, we are still a plague, and believe me, at times, she takes a big drink. I tend to agree with him. Oh, there are a few men I would happily see sent over on Kinlands. Even past the walls of Threshold. But no, no. If we are to change anyone, we start change here. And it brings me the utmost joy to see you smiling like you are. It feels as though it's been a long time since I smiled. That's nonsense. <laughs> I remember you putting on that very hat this morning and giving the biggest smile I'd ever seen. Cassandra, I think I have made... I was going to say a big mistake, but I have made many more mistakes than Vaughn. As have I. Those men I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know what you're saying, child. Nothing is going to be easy. I did not just stumble upon a ransacked caravan with overflowing with gold, though the other houses in this area would espouse such things. They are untrue. I worked for every cut I have. I promise. She gives you a big wink. <laughs> I... I don't... 
don't... I don't know what to say. I understand on an academic level what you're talking about, but... Valentine. Valentine. And she's reached over and just, like, put her hand on top of yours Mm -hmm. on the armchair. And there's just a warmth in it, and there's a warmth from the fire, and she just kind of shakes her head, smiling. She's like, do not say anything. Just enjoy your time here, now. Val will settle back in the chair and just sort of, like, sit and look at the fire. Do I have... So what's sort of, like, my perception of timelines now? Do I remember everything that's happened to me up to this point? Or is my am I kind of, like, back in this memory as well? It's kind of like you're here. It's not so everything up to the point, but it's you have been placed here and then your memory is has been filled in of this moment and then is starting to, like, branch outward. So backward and forward concerning Katasandra. Okay. How do we change people's minds? We don't. That's simple. We show them a better way and hope that they will make that choice. But I can never do anything that is going to completely change how someone thinks or acts. I can only do my best and hope for the best in turn. If you are thinking anything above that, you are setting yourself up for failure, Valentine. I have known lots of failure in my life, such as it is. Should I have come here? What do you mean? To the human fail? To my estate? Should I have left home? Perhaps, well, there is no right or wrong in this instance. If you would have stayed... You would have done as you did, as you have told me, and you would have done your best to change. And if you came here, regardless of where you ended up, whether if it was with me or someone else, you would have done your best to change. Perhaps you are the inevitable you, no? Perhaps. I will sit and enjoy the fire and Katasandra's company for a little while longer and then if that door is still open I will leave through it it is it does not close down the march of memories (laughs) as you exit that door and it shuts behind you a very potent memory comes back to you uh, and it wasn't too long ago that memory being when you attempted to message Katasandra and received nothing in return. Again, I think Val just tears that he can't keep down just sort of, you know, build up and his eyes spill over and he keeps moving forward. You see there's a door, maybe 20 doors ahead, that's kind of just like opening and then slamming shut and then opening and slamming as if like a shutter in the wind. I'll go to it and very carefully try to push it open against whatever force is doing this. Seemingly just wind. As you push it open, you see that same scene, though doused in this barren, cold light of some foggy day. And upstairs, you hear this tumble and these steps, and then a crash as wood splinters and breaks across 
the upstairs floor, and then you hear glass shattering. I'm running for the noise, for sure. As you head through the estate and up the stairs, and finally to Katasandra's bedchamber, you find the door already open. I'll go in. And in the window, kind of crouched on the sill, you see a silhouette that briefly glances over at you before dropping out of sight. Ooh, no, out the window? Uh-huh. Ugh, can I um, intent something like a net or whatever, like outside the window? As you start to form this mental image to you know, perpetuate your will in the world, you hear this <sighs> kind of gag off to the side that shatters your concentration. Okay, I'll turn towards it. You see Katasandra, her hair matted against her face with her blood, her throat completely slit open as she writhes on the ground, clawing at anything, at the bedsheets, at the rug, just keeping a hand on her face, on her neck, as, you know, this arterial spray just coats the wall. I go to her immediately, um, kneel down next to her, and... Val, Val has healed. I think he's had the most success healing people with intent. Um, will attempt to do so now. You can stitch up her wound, close this broken flesh, but though her throat is as good as new, as you push the bloodied hair out of her eyes, they're blank and lifeless. Val just absolutely collapses, like, holding her body on top of her, just weeping. Just, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is all. This is my fault. I did this to you. I'm so sorry, Cassandra. Please. Please wake up. Please. And you hear a voice, you know, not toward the door, but rather toward the window. And it goes, interesting, isn't it? Interesting, I said, isn't it? I see nothing interesting about this. Oh, come round. This is nothing new. You've seen death in your time. You've caused it. And? This is just another instance. Um, I will sit up and look towards this voice. You recognize the figure as, you know, what Vale showed you himself to be. And as he kind of swaggers over and sits on the edge of the bed... You know, playing with the upholstery is like, now, don't shoot the messenger. That's just me. How is this any different than the life you've taken in the past? You do something and poof, someone somewhere gets snuffed out. This is just another consequence of your actions. Then I deserve to feel this pain. Deserve, feel, pain, uh... Honestly, I can't quite relate, but sure, why not? Besides, do you feel this pain for anyone else? Let's say, I don't know, a magister or two, a warden or five that, you know, happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Don't they have people? Don't they have their own catasandras? I think I have lost sight of what I wanted when I left home. Perhaps, perhaps. You're quite different now than you were then. I mean, perhaps that's Yakuda doing her work. But I'll be frank, I didn't expect to see you here. What do you mean? <laughs> what do I mean? 
What do you mean, what do I mean? Who did you expect to see here if not me? Well, no one, to be frank. Uh, at least not you. I just, I, I thought you were still up in the north. No. Grappling with your friends in that Mazkin labyrinth or what have you. So that was a very long time ago, it seems. I don't believe so. According to my information, and I'm always right, you just got there. Where do you think you are? Or perhaps, <laughs> when do you think you are? I think Val sort of like tries to pinpoint that and can't. I, I don't know. I don't think you should be here, Valmus. No, no, I know what it is. I don't think you are here. You never were here, but now you are. Through something. Oh, dastardly. And he just like has this glint of realization in his eye. Is there a door anywhere near here? I have come through several doors. You wouldn't mind leading me back through it, would you? Can, okay. <laughs> uh, I think this, this mm, what a decision. Um, I think Val will stand up and wipe his face off. I will take you back if you will answer a question for me. When have I ever not? <laughs> Is there a way to break a Godborn's pact? I mean, he just kind of motions to himself. <laughs> How do you think I came to be what I came to be? Hmm? Just overnight? Think a reality just becomes a reality because I want to? We all start somewhere. Will you help me break my pack with Yakuda? Vale looks intrigued. He's contemplating this, and you, you can just see the gears working behind his dark eyes. Perhaps. Though something's different with you now than you are... Kind of motioning to the space around. Now. So, here's what I'm going to say. And I'm coming against my better instincts here, but damn it. I'm me. <laughs> I wish I didn't like him as much as I do, but he's great. <laughs> Find me when you are, and we'll talk. I hold out my hand to, like, shake with him. He shakes your hand wholeheartedly. Did you still want me to lead you through a door? No, no, I think that might make some problems. Too much attention for little old me. If I survive what is coming for me, I will find you. Good, good. Then, toodaloo. That will give him a, a, a little side eye <laughs> and leave. As you shut the door behind you, you hear, Good sir. I, I turn towards the voice. You see a human butler. Yes? Good sir, Valentine. Would you like me to show you to your rooms? Yes, thank you. Indeed. I dare say, if you'll excuse my forwardness, you look as you've been through quite the ordeal. I have. And, um, it was one that I chose for myself, but not one that I really understood when I chose it. Interesting. Though, fear not, fret not, there are many choices that lie ahead. Simply make the right ones this time. And he gives you a smile that I can't say is comforting or reassuring. Yeah. Come along. And he holds out his arm. <laughs> to, like, escort me? Okay, I'll take it. 
He leads you down the hallway past rooms and doors in silence for a long time. Too long. If you speak up or anything, he'll go, no, just think, take it in, and continue walking. It isn't until the doors get into the quadruple digits that he stops at one. Here we are. Room 1,562A. Yours, Valentine. Why do you call me Valentine? Perhaps you preferred? Perhaps. Now, I do hope this room is to your standards and your liking. I will give him a little, you know, head bow, thank you, and go inside. Uh, Sir, for your benefit, I'll be taking the key. But in 12 hours' time, I will be fetching you along with your other companions. I'll bring you some fresh garments and a warm breakfast. Thank you. I appreciate your hospitality. Yes, of course. And as he shuts the door and locks it, you hear a small rap. Sir? Sir? Yes? I pray you, don't mind the noise. And then from out the window, you hear this clang. And then a few seconds later, again. (laughs) (laughs) And then again. And then again. Val loses his absolute marbles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> okay. okay, right? That, that what a what that a boo. You think that he's coming to protect you? Emphasis on the butt. Oh, ouch. Yeah, Val is going to like climb into the bed and pull the covers as tight over his head as he possibly can and like plug his ears with his fingers. And as much as you try and can to muffle it, you can still even feel these reverberations of metal on metal in some cave in the distant amber. Oof. <laughs> you had a very different butler experience than everybody else. Oh, man. Yes, he was so nice and cordial. The butler's a freaking punch of Val. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sir. Jeez. Didn't mind the noise. I was like, what's about to happen? And then when you first said it, I was like, oh, construction, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind the noise. Don't mind the construction, right? It's just, it's just... Hey, hey, team construction, Tony, you know? Tony, Tony. <laughs> hey, you got those two by fours? Come on, man. <laughs> I'm sweating like a hog over here. It's hot as balls. (laughs) Can't you see I'm busy watching a guy dig a hole? (laughs) Goodness. Hi, Tony, hurry up already. Man, this road ain't going to pave itself. (laughs) Anyway, so that's what Val hears all night for 12 hours. (laughs) He's primo. Primo experience. On the landing of the second floor, Mick finds himself... Naked and alone. Upon this realization, Mick seeks to find his companions. And so he arbitrarily picks left and he goes in that direction, starts shouting the names of everyone in his group. Barty, Vamak, Kelnies, Cat, Val, anyone? Is there anyone here? And he starts to look for some evidence of them in the hallway or otherwise. You find none. He is going to continue in that direction in hopes of finding someone. You don't find a person, per se, but from one of the doors, you hear a commotion. 
And this is the first door you've come across that doesn't have a key in the lock. You hear various shouts, people running, but orderly, as if in a march. Some sort of camp just beyond the door. Uh, Mick, not really knowing what's going on, but hearing this, approaches the door and tries for the handle. It seems to just be jammed, not locked per se. Mick starts knocking on the door and goes, Body? Anyone? And then when I assume he hears nobody coming towards the door, he uh, leans into it and tries to pry it open. Putting your weight behind it, you hit it open and kind of stumble through, and you fall down on a bedroll, a collection of furs, a knapsack and such, and then you're just you know, accosted by this bright sunlight as this flap to a tent opens above you, and you hear, Mick? Mickey? It's time to go. Time to go? And looking up, you see a half-elf who you've come to know and befriend over the time that you spent in the Rift Warden camp. Yes, it's it's drills, man. <laughs> what do you expect? Can't just sleep through everything. We're going tomorrow through the Rift, <laughs> and you're still lying about. Come on. Mick doesn't respond to this, but um, starts to become panicked and starts to breathe heavy and quickly. And he just says to the half-elf, Alros. And Alros kind of just mockingly goes, Mick! (laughs) What? I... I... I, Nothing. Let's, um... get some breakfast, I guess. Good, I'm starving. (laughs) And Mick stands up and um, follows Alros. And outside is the Rift Warden camp, just bustling with activity. There are soldiers running drills, there's sword and archery training, there's other wardens putting together like care packages and supplies, people working inside large tents and under pavilions on various things. There's a large mess pavilion set up that you and Alros are walking toward. Hey, you with me? Uh- I I don't even I I don't know where I am. I You're not having second thoughts, are you? I Yeah, I don't what is going on? Oh, Mick. Alros kind of drags you off to the side between two tents, keeps his voice hushed and he's like, "Look, if you're starting to act out like this, they might not let you through." I understand. I <laughs> I don't know what got into me. Uh, let's uh carry on. L- look, wait. And he kind of holds your arm and keeps you. The other day, when we were talking, you asked if, I don't know, things were strange. Talked about, I don't know, what was it? Just leaving? If we're still going to go through with that. I, uh, yes, Alros. That's still the plan. Right. (laughs) I mean, come on. I was the one breaking down (laughs) just the other day. I'm counting on you here. I know, Alros, and you you can always count on me. Right. (laughs) When have you ever been wrong? (laughs) (laughs) That is what I say, isn't it? And Mick kind of uh, grabs on to Alros' shoulder and then puts his arm around him and walks with him um, towards the the rest of the group. And if you stay here, things go and proceed 
as they did. So, you meet with your squad in the mess, you have idle chit-chat, some cold feet as they talk about going through the rift the next day, and then back to your tent for the night. And outside the tent, Alro stops you again, and he's like, Look here, Mickey. These wardens, it's something new for sure. It's something good, at least on the surface. But when we get to that new place, I don't know what it's going to be like. But regardless, I know I'm doing this for good reasons. For my wife and uh, for my family's future. And I... Mick pipes up and and completely cuts him off. Because it dawns on him that he is in control of the outcomes at this time. And he says to Alros, Alros, please stop. Stop it there. What are you talking about? Let's just get away. We don't have to go through the rift. We really don't. All of the answers you need for you and your family, your wife, are here. We don't need to go. Do you understand me, Alros? Mick, do you know what you're... That's desertion. I know exactly what I'm saying. Please, Alros, listen to me. We don't need to go. Look, Mick, I don't know a lot. And since coming here, I've been quite surprised at how little I knew about the world and what. But I know one thing for certain, and that's that you are always going to be there for me. Where you go, I go. I'm not going to let you do this alone. We've got each other. And Mick starts shaking his head and says, Alros, if only you understood. If only you understood what awaits us when we get to the new world. And he grabs him by the shoulders and kind of shakes him a little bit and says, Please, I, I'm not going to make the decision for you, but please, just listen to me. It doesn't need to be done. We can't. We were going to desert them anyways. Why not start here? There's nothing for you or me beyond that rift. Aros kind of shakes himself free of your arms. It's like, you're talking strange. This isn't you. What's gone into you? I... Alros, I can't tell you. I can't explain. But please, just trust me on this. Please, my dear friend. Mick, you know that there's nothing in this world that can cure my wife. I've tried. I have to go through the rift. There has to be something there that can help her. And I swore to her I'd bring her back. Uh, and and if you're not going to, to stand by me now, then why did I ever think you were a friend? Alice, please don't say that. No, it's... I was a fool. I see that. And you should... You know, if you're going to leave, then you should get in that tent and pack your things and go. If I see someone, uh, if, I, if I run into one of the commanders, I, I just might run my mouth. Alros, please. No, I've... Enough of this. He backs up further. And... Mick sits there for a second, and uh, it dawns on him that Alros, or whatever he says, is not going to change Alros's mind. So he turns to Alros, gets up, and says, Fine, I will go with you, and we will go through the rift, but please... Forgive me for whatever comes next. Aros seems to calm down, composes himself, and then takes a couple steps towards you again. And now he puts his hands on your shoulders and just kind of leans in. It's like, get some rest. Gods, you need it. I'll see you in the morning, all right? And Mick kind of gives a shirk nod of his head 
and lays down and goes to sleep. Well, you sure can. But as you crawl inside your tent, there's still an open doorway to a strange ethereal oh, inn. Forgot about that. So <laughs> Mick kind of looks away from Alros with the intention to fall asleep, being transported to this memory or revised memory now, and sees an open door and he goes through it back into the hallway and shuts the door quickly behind him and kind of leans against the door and catches his breath for a second. And then he, uh, having a moment to himself, takes his his leave um, and continues down the hallway. It's a while before you come across another door that is in a similar state as to what it was. No key. This one's actually a little bit ajar. And you hear from inside a pouring rain. Mick hearing this and seeing it as a potential avenue to find his friends opens the door fully and lets himself in. Opening the door, it seems you're coming in from the outside, and it looks like you're in a closet, honestly. The tiniest room in a lean-to, and this pouring rain outside, you know, breathes a chill across your shoulders, but from ahead you just feel warmth, and you hear the tiniest clicks as someone plucks at the strings of a lute. Nick immediately moves his head to the direction of the lute playing. That's just further inward as you step into the room, the rain fading behind you, the cold receding as the warmth of candles that are laid out on the floor amidst ragged blankets and the like. You see a woman with stone gray skin and fiery red hair, same as yours, playing away. Mick immediately upon seeing this woman recognizes who she is and is petrified because he's seen this image playing his head over and over and over again. The face of this woman that has often haunted him. And he starts, I mean, if he wasn't freaking out before with Alros, he definitely is freaking out now and kind of stops in his tracks and is breathing exceptionally heavy and fast and is basically hyperventilating at this point. And he doesn't say anything. He just sees the woman. And without even looking up at you, Still playing a sweet song, her calm voice, which is almost cool and calming in and of itself, pipes up. She goes, Mick, come lie down. You've been out in the cold for so long. I don't, I don't know if I want to. How are you even here? What is going on? This is where we always are. I mean, for the week at least. Jarek may catch wise and kick us out if... We make too much noise, but she kind of flashes this devilish grin up at you. I think we can spare a little music, don't you? I, this is too much for me right now. No, no, my dear girl, sit down, rest your head. Please, why, why are you here? Why do you keep on torturing me? Torture you? She stops playing the lute and sets it aside, and she reaches up and holds your hands the same color as hers. Torture you? You're my daughter. Why would I torture you? Dearest Mick, if I've hurt you, tell me. I'm so sorry. I know I'm not here, and you and I are always here nor there. This isn't the normal life, perhaps not the one you deserved, but it's a life, and it's ours, and it's exciting. Who else gets to sleep in a different bed every week? Who else has a different home every fortnight? It's an adventure, you and I. We're going to be on it forever, together. 
And as soon as she's giving this speech, I guess you say, or talking to and consoling Mick, and he touch, uh, she touches her, being Mick, he winces at her touch, but takes a moment again and just completely collapses in her arms and starts to sob as she gently embraces him or her. And as she kind of just caresses your back and your head and pets your hair, she starts to sing a lullaby and you feel your eyes growing heavy and the world growing dark and her voice fading and fading until it's replaced by footsteps on cobbles, the chirping of morning birds, and a cold as all the candles in this little closet have gone out. And though you're wrapped tightly, you're alone. Mick, recognizing this feeling and this scene yet again, doesn't stand up from his seated position, but cradles himself and uncontrollably starts to sob as he says over and over again, No, no, please, please. Why do I have to go through this over and over again? Please, spare me. Why? Why did this have to happen? Please, make it end. And soon his his chatter turns to silence as he just sits there and cradles himself. And you hear from outside, for the door into this room is still an open door from the inn. And you see a kindly weathered face peering past the doorframe, and softly, gently, he goes, My good sir, are you quite well? And Mick, without even answering him, runs to him and basically collapses before he can get to him and kind of grabs onto his arm that's by his side and says, Please, just take me anywhere but here. Please. You notice that the this butler, this man, he seems very keen not to go past the threshold of the door, but as you collapse toward him, he does catch you and pull you outside before the door shuts. And kind of propping you up on your feet and patting down your shoulders a little, he goes, good sir, you've had quite the rough of it. And then Mick is still kind of inconsolable, but feels a little relieved that somebody caught him at least. And as he stands up, he still holds on to the arm of the butler and just just ask the simple question of I I don't even know and my friends where are they? they are here you're the last one Mick I could have sworn I I I don't even know what to say no you mustn't say anything you have burdens to bear and besides you tried to do what was right this eve though perhaps it changed little or nothing. Our choices are mysteries to us. Their effects and ripples unknown for time to come. Think not of it now, but rest. Come, my dear. And he holds out his arm for you. And Mick promptly grabs hold of it and follows him. It's only a few doors away, a little further down, that he takes out a key and opens one of the doors and just stands to the side, releasing you. Now we wouldn't want to bring you too far away from those instances. And he just beckons to the doors that you'd entered before, the one with Alros and the one with your mother. But far enough so you can sleep soundly and not perhaps hear their wafting voices come through the floorboards. Mick immediately goes to the bed that I assume is in the room. Oh, there's a bed in the room. 
In fact, this room is made up the exact same way that your apartment was in Almoran. So it's it's a bit gaudy. <laughs> oh, gaudy. Gorgeous. More of a... <laughs> um, Mick, see, <laughs> Mick seeing this is kind of... It, it's a place of security for him. And so he is kind of relieved to see this and immediately um, goes to the bed and doesn't really... Kind of messily... Uh, moves the pillows from there and jumps in and wraps the blanket in his arms and is not falling asleep but is wide-eyed but trying to rest as much as he can. And you hear this old butler's voice. Would you require anything else for the evening, sir? No. Thank you. Very well. If you do not mind, I will be taking the key. It would be best, I think, in your interest to ruminate on what you've seen and done and what there is yet to do. If you'll excuse me, I'll fetch you in twelve hours' time, along with your companions, bring you a pair of fresh garments and a warm breakfast. And with a smile that's somewhere between comforting and sinister, he closes the door and locks it. <laughs>